Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hi, everybody. Oh, my goodness. This is the last Monday of the year. What a year it's been, hasn't it? And I am so happy because my guest today is my friend, Farhan Dozier. Welcome to the show, Farhan. Hey, thank you, Marcia. How are you? I'm just great. This 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 reckons back to old days, doesn't it? I think the last time we were together um, was, I think, in 2016 when you and I were in the L.A. Talk Live studios because that's actually how we met. And um, it, it's it's an honor and a pleasure to have you join me once again. When did when did you? I don't remember because I believe you were doing your show prior to mine. When did you start your first uh, broadcast? So I've actually been on Blog Talk since September of 2010 was my first episode um, ever as a podcaster in 2010, September. And when we met at LA Talk Live, I had went to LA Talk Live in 2012 to be on an interview on, on another show as a guest to talk about Sickle Cell Awareness Month, and when I walked in LA Talk Live, well, you know, the red walls and the brick walls, and I was like, Mm. wow, this place is beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, it was so cool. It was, those were some fun times, because I can remember for my nearly three years in the studio, there were times when you ran the board as we speak, and did my incoming and outgoing music, and there you were, you know, and it was it was so great. We we really did establish a wonderful, wonderful relationship, you and I, on multiple ways. And when I switched over to Blog Talk Radio, there you were, there you were. You helped me go <laughs> from the studio to the podcaster without skipping a beat. I would not have been able to do it without you. So so thank you so much for doing that. So this hey. show is all about you. I know it's about us, but it's it's really about you. And there's so much to you. There's so much about you. You call yourself a statesman, which I think is so interesting. And I'd like to know, what is that? What do those words, what does that mean to you? You know, um, <clears throat> I've I've recently tapped into my spiritual walk, and there's a a, a pastor that I listen to, Dr. Miles Monroe. Um, he's passed away, but all of his teachings are out on his platform and social media. And one day I was listening to one of his sermons, and he was talking about politics and leadership in the community, and how it coincides with spiritual spirituality. And he says, you know, we don't need we don't need another politician. We need a statesman. And he said, a statesman is a person who cares about the next generation, and they care about you know what's going on with today's you know uh, community outreach and things like that. So when I heard that, with all the advocacy work that I've been doing for the last ten years and the things that I care about, and especially the next generation, it was like I like that title. Like it's not political but it represents someone who thinks about the generation and, and what can we establish for them for the next 40 years to come. And so I, I, I like that title, and I thought that summed up who I was being um, for my work. And so I, I like the, a statesman. I like that, too, and, and that's a really terrific um, description because you are, you are a humanitarian on so many levels. And I think that will come out as we continue to speak. I I think about the times that we've just, you and I have just had conversations about so many different topics, Uh, Landmark and your family and, 
you know, your motorcycle or whatever. We've, just, <laughs> we've, we've, we've talked about an awful lot of things over the years, and I think that people yeah. will get to know a bit more about you, Ferran, as, as we go through this show together. So Thank prior you. to being a broadcaster, you had a background in the military. You were in the Army. Uh, I I think, how old were you? Were you 19 when you enlisted? I was 19 when I joined the military, yes. Wow. Take us us through some of what that was like for you. You know, um, graduating high school, 1988, my uncle was already in the Air Force Reserve, and he was like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, you know what, I'm not sure. Like, I was, you know, 18. And he's like, you should try the, the, the military. He's like, you could try the reserves, and if you like the reserves, you could always go full-time. But if you go full-time first and you don't like it, you're stuck for that whatever that contract is, three, four years. And so he recommended that I, I take that step, and, and um, so I did. I actually signed up. Um, I went into reserves, and I did four years National Guard, and I enjoyed it. And so I had an opportunity to go active duty, and I chose to go active duty. I spent 20 years active duty. So let me – so that's – you know, I'm sure I knew this. So of the four years that you were in the National Guard, is that encompassed within the 20 or is it 24 altogether? It's 24 altogether. Dude, and I'm sure we talked about this, Ferran, but my father was also in the National Guard and retired Sergeant Major. Um, from the National Guard, and he went on, you know, after he came back from the war and then was working, mm-hmm. he still remained as, as a National Guard. So you put 24 years into military service. That really does say a lot about who you are as well. But some really interesting things happened to you in the military. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So, I mean, I, I had a great career, and it was an opportunity for me to um, move up the ranks. And so I went to my Master Sergeant Academy. I was an E7 at the time. And so I went to my Master Sergeant Academy school. So once I got done with that course, I would be eligible to be on the list for my E8, which was going to take me to my end of my career, which my goal was like 30-plus years. So like 32 years of my ultimate goal to spend in the military. So that year I went up to the schoolhouse, um, and like a normal morning, I got up that morning to do the uh, Army Physical Fitness Test and got out. I did the push-up sit-ups, and then I was out doing the two-mile run. And I could hear my instructor on my last lap, you know, 1545, 1546. And I was like, oh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, at the time, I'm 36 years old. I had like 1721 to pass, and I'm coming across the finish line, and I hear, you know, like almost 16 minutes. So I you know, we're trained to sprint the last lap in the military for your best time. And so when I heard that time, I I kicked in that gear and took off. Um, And then when I looked back that morning, I I did feel like electrical charge, like come over my body like a sensation, but I didn't think anything about it. You know, I'm sprinting. It's like 630 in the morning. Uh, I crossed the finish line with 16 minutes, put my hands over my head to get air in my lungs, all the stuff we're trained to do. But all of a sudden I started feeling weird and my peripheral got dark and then it like just went black and I didn't pass out but I I laid back on my back because everything was spinning like a million miles an hour and I felt nauseous and so the medics came and got me rushed me to the hospital doctor comes in um, asked me if I had kidney problems I says no he says what do you do now and he walks out and then he comes back and says you know what maybe it's just a freak accident uh, you're probably dehydrated, heat stroke. I'm going to give you another IV, go back to the barracks and take, you know, get some rest, take the day off. So I did that. I woke up in the afternoon, and I was worse. I was throwing up. I was, you know, everything was still spinning. I was nauseous. Um, I went back to sleep, and I woke up. Uh, I know it was after 430 because my classmates came into the barracks after class, and, and then they're like, are you okay? I'm like, no. So they rushed me back to the hospital. And the night doctor did some more tests. And so he diagnosed me with a condition called rhabdomyolysis, which is a skeletal muscular disorder. So at the time, um, I spent four days in the hospital. I could barely walk. I was severe uh, muscle damage, joint damage. And I just thought it was a freak accident. 
and that was 2006. Uh, 2010, uh, I could barely walk, and I was now dealing with my mental health and my physical, and everything was breaking down, and so I was on the base leaving a mental health appointment one day, and the officer that I served with during the war, we were together. He was my platoon leader. Like, we were next to each We ran the platoon together for a year, and I saw him on the base, and he's like, how you been? I'm like, man, I don't want to talk. He's like, no, tell me. So I explained to him, like, what happened to me, my muscles and my pains. And he's like, you know what? Something that happened to me before, but I have sickle cell traits. So I have to drink extra water, take these vitamins. And I'm standing there like, why does that sound familiar? And then I remember in 99, my second physical in the, in the Army, the Air Force Base found my sickle cell trait. And I'm like, so I get that, and sure enough, positive sickle cell trait test. I did some research, and I found that athletes, military, people um, hiking in, in, the, in the mountains of Denver, like all these different exercises and, and things, people have experienced what I went through called sickle cell trait exertion with rhabdomyolysis. And after four years, it made sense of what happened to me. And I took that to my doctor because now I'm dealing with arthritis and I had a rheumatologist. And so I took it to her. And she did some research, and she tested me again. And sure enough, positive sickle cell trait, um, 40% of my red blood cells are the S gene. And then we were able to connect my injury to that um, diagnosis. And when I submitted that to the military, they found me not fit for service. Oh, man. And they started my medical board process, yeah. So it it, wow. it was um, it was very unexpected because I figured that I just couldn't, exercise like I couldn't run so every time I got on a treadmill it felt like I got off a, a, a roller coaster ride I was like just kind of like sick and my head hurt and so with the military they have alternate events like the walk or the bicycle or the swimming and so I'm like okay I'll just I can't run so I'll just do the walk but whatever they saw in my paperwork it triggered them to have a medical board and then about three and a half that was 2010 and by 2013, October, I was out of the service. Wow. So when you went from 2006 to 2010, mm-hmm. those four years, how how were you functioning? I mean, wasn't every day difficult <laughs> for you? Yes. Uh, every day was difficult. I was going to uh, 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 my doctor on a regular because he was testing my blood and we were, like I said, we were trying to figure out what happened to me. And it took from 2006 to 2009 to really determine that, you know what, you just you can't run no more. Like, you can't run. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm cool. I'll do an alternate event. I've seen people stay in the military with knee surgeries, you know, all these different health, you know. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'll be fine. Like, I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't really worried about it until I got the letter saying that um, I was going to be pending the medical board. And what I, what I made that mean is I made it mean my life was over. Mm-hmm. So a, a lot of times when, when that I've, I've learned in, in communicating with people that when you, when you read that diagnosis or that doctor tells you you're dealing with this health issue, we also, our mind makes it mean something. And so by me making it mean my life was over, the person that I was already dealing with it, 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 it even got worse because now everything that's happened to me, well, because my life is over. So I started wow. looking for the proof that my life was over. And mm-hmm. can you imagine how that looks living in, you know, going to work every day? And when that phone rings, um, my whole body is numb because is this the phone call that's going to end my career? Yeah. <laughs> so the Your stress heart that, that created. Oh, yeah, it was. Oh. I look back. It was. It was. I was like. I was depressed for for a very long time, and didn't even. But know did anybody what was know? Did 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 the, your peers and and your physicians and anybody recognize mentally what was going on with you at that time? No. You know what, Marcia? Uh, I I when I look back, I I started to notice myself, but it was like I didn't want to go anywhere. Like, I, couldn't, I didn't want to go to work. Like, I would be in bed. Like, I didn't want to watch sports. Huge sports fan. And right. I just, I, I, I lost interest in, like, almost everything in life. And I didn't even notice how I was becoming. And my friends, 
They really didn't. I had one friend that said, hey, you might need to go to the um, mental health department because you don't, you're not normal. You're not acting like yourself. And that was the one friend that saw my behavior shift is why I went to the, to the Air Force Base to talk to a mental health provider. That's what got me there, one of my friends. Well, Wow, what's what? Where were you? Where were you? So when you said when you went to work, I'm going to make the presumption in the military. You had a you had a responsibility in the military that you you weren't in the reserves at this point, were you or were you? No, I was active duty. Yeah, no, I was active duty. You were duty, active so duty. So where were you stationed? Yeah. I was actually in the in the city of Gardena. There's an armory there. Uh, I okay. was third in charge. I was the platoon leader, uh, platoon sergeant. And um, also the administrative uh, readiness NCO is what the position's called. So I was in charge of about 200 soldiers. Um, wow. So it was, it was me, the first sergeant, and then the captain that was in charge of the unit. So I was third in charge, and I ran the day-to-day operations. Um, and so that that was my job. And, mm. you know, I didn't, like I said, I had to go back and apologize to my soldiers when I got out because I knew I – I was like a zombie at work, like, and I knew I didn't take care of them the way that I could have, and I didn't even realize what I was dealing with. So I had to mm. take responsibility for, for my actions, even in the midst of my depression, so they knew that, hey, you know, this is the state of mind I was in. So, you know, if if, if you felt like you was mad at me or anything like that, like, I, I take full responsibility, but this is what I was dealing with. And so some soldiers understood, like, yo, man, you're cool. And some soldiers were like, nah, man, you like, you 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 failed us. <laughs> and it was like you know I own I own it I own my life and so it was very hard to to realize how how deep depressed I was yes. um, for all those years. Wow, when you look back at this now, healthy as you are, um, that must be really mind. It, it, it must really be something to recognize that, which explains why you are that perfect advocate. For for so many, and and that kind of leads me into sickle cell trait, because that's what you have. But there are yeah. a lot of people that don't know that there is a difference between sickle cell trait and sickle cell anemia. And for people yeah. that haven't listened to this topic before, this is a wonderful opportunity for Ron to. To explain the difference between anemia and trait for those that don't know. Okay, perfect. Thank you. So, uh, again, I am a sickle cell trait advocate. I have um, sickle cell trait AS. So I have one normal red blood cell, AA, and I have one S trait. Um, And so AS is the diagnosis. So sickle cell trait, we're just known to be carriers. So they, the, the biggest conversation they talk about is make sure you don't mate with another person with sickle cell trait because if you do, you can pass that S gene and your mate could pass that S gene and then you can have a child that's born with sickle cell anemia. And so that's basically what they talk about. However, there's been um, conversations overlooked. Like my experience with sickle cell exertion is only one copy of the gene, but if you have two copies of the gene, that's sickle cell anemia, but also if you could have sickle cell trait and, a, and your mate could have thalassemia trait or C trait or D trait, like there's like, a, like thousands of other red blood cell conditions that also that I could, you could pass that S gene and that mate could pass thalassemia and that child is now born with a, a different type of sickle cell disease. So you have sickle cell trait, you have anemia, but you also have other combinations that create a type of sickle cell disease. And so being able to distinguish that conversation, because a lot of it has been focused on sickle cell disease, which we understand because it's, the babies are born with that illness that there's no cure for. And, and so what, with sickle cell trait, there's 300 million people globally who live with this inherited gene and millions don't know. In the United States, we have about 4.5 million um, people with sickle cell trait, and again, millions in the United States don't know. And then with disease or anemia, you have about 100,000 people born or living with sickle cell anemia. So you have 300,000, you know, let's say 4 million in the United States with the trait, and then 100,000 with the disease, but the focus is mainly on the disease. 
So people are still having babies today with sickle cell disease that don't know that they could have a child like that. You know, it it seems so obvious to somebody like myself that isn't living in this world of sickle cell trait and anemia and disease that when babies are born, this this seems like this is the obvious test that all children would have when they're born, but that isn't the case, is it? Well, that newborn, there is a newborn screening, um, and, and you would have to know in your state when that started. And so for, for California, it was like 94. So okay. babies that were born in 94 to current are, are tested for many different, um, you know, diseases, cystic fibrosis, mm-hmm. you know, sickle cell disease. But that's not really the, the, the problem. The problem is the parents who have that child, the baby is already in the womb. <laughs> right. So when they, when they find out that, hey, you know what, you go, you go and do this test and they tell you, oh, your baby's going to be born with sickle cell disease, do you want to have an abortion or do you want to have a child that's going to have this lifelong disease with no cure? That's like mm-hmm. after the fact. <laughs> right. You yeah. know, it seems to me, and I don't know, this was 1971, so it wasn't yesterday. But mm-hmm. it seems to me that when I got married, weren't we required, I, here in California, weren't we required to have a blood test before we could get our marriage license? Yes, they did do that, but th- those tests was more for, um, like, STDs and, right. and to make sure that you weren't related. <laughs> There you go. So it, it really did yes. focus on, yeah, they really didn't focus on uh, DNA issues. I believe it was more for the bloodline and also, um, you know, making sure you don't have any STDs or any, any viruses okay. to pass. Yeah. So today, based on the fact that, like, oops, it's a little late, um, are, are, is, as an advocate, is it mm-hmm. your intention to let people know that you're a 14 year old boy or girl, you are a virgin. Um, before you're going to start engaging in, this, in sexual activities, I'm your parent. You need to be tested. Everyone needs to know before they're engaging. And I think you even have a whole thing about sickle cell uh, sex, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> I do have a very. Uh challenging conversation called stop sickle sex and so mm-hmm. um and it was created that way to to draw attention like it was it was written that way purposely to grab attention and so um it is definitely important uh for for our our youth to understand their their inherited genes um mm-hmm. from from relationship standpoint but also from that other standpoint that like i experienced the risk factors so the if you have a student athlete who's a young, you know, tiny mite football player who's, you know, we play sports at very young ages. So if you right. have a child who's playing sports at, at 8, 9, 10, up through high school or college, and they're sickle cell trait carriers, where there are numerous risk factors that they could experience from exercising and playing sports. So it is, it's like, it's, it's about, you know, having children, but then it's also, there's risk factor to exercising so I have like two major conversations that go together but separate mm-hmm. um in how I have to share my conversation. That's 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 really so once you have the trait, which is what you have, mm-hmm. that never leaves you. That is in your DNA. That will be you yeah. be with you forever. Yeah. And so how uh, do you it, then it, manage it's inherited. your right. So how does it, how does it manifest itself to you today physically? Do you have to take? Well, how do you treat yourself for sickle cell traits so that you feel healthy as you sound on this call? Yeah. So the the, the biggest thing now for me and and even then um, is hydration. You know, our diet is very important, um, and you know, one of the main symptoms that I've I've discovered with people is fatigue. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have all these different symptoms. Some people have pain. I've had pain in my arm 
since I was five years old, and they told my parents it was growing pains. So I've had, mm-hmm. I've had, so now look back in my life, I've had symptoms since my mom said I was two crying about my arm. I remember five, but she says I was like two years old. So wow. I've had this pain, and my body been dealing with this since I was born. It's sickle cell trait, and so it's been, it's kind of like pushed aside because it's just, Again, don't don't mate with another person with this, you know, with this gene, and you'll be. But you have nothing to worry about. That's what they tell people. You're not gonna have, you don't have sickle cell disease. But there are, um, written, documented by the CDC, health complications that are, could be secondary from having um, blood clots, to having spleno infraction, to having a rare kidney cancer, um, to yeah. people experiencing, like I said trade exertion. So they, and they, and they've known this, like my message is not brand new. This is stuff that I've found in the medical books, but there hasn't been a messenger to deliver the message. <laughs> so yeah, I, I believe that I was born for this conversation and I had to go through what I went through looking back in the military and, and even my depression and anxiety that, that I still manage today. If I didn't experience that, how could I talk about it? How could I connect and relate to people? With, with, right. with mental health and these kind of conversations. So today I understand that, you know, we're all born for a reason. We're born with a gift. We're born with a message that we're supposed to serve to our generation and the generation behind us. I've been blessed to discover that through my, through my, my work. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's wonderful. And, you know, I know the WDC stands for what's the count, what's the count, (laughs) but um, you are very clever. Um, But, you know, it's just, there's so much, there's so much about you, and I, and I really, I, in my mind, I want to sort of keep this conversation to sort of three topics, because I really, really want to speak about you and your dad. But before we get there, since we've been talking about the military, uh, just tell us a little bit more about your veteran suicide awareness and and perhaps how mm. people can learn more about what you do with the veterans. So I've, I've, I've really, again, I've been so blessed, Marcia, to go through my life experiences and then to, you know, go through this depression stage that I've been dealing with since 2006. Like, I used basketball was my therapy. Like, I would go to the gym and, and leave it all on the court, right? And that was my outlet. But when I had my physical injury and I couldn't exercise or play basketball anymore, I internalized everything. And I was, you know, I, I started having those issues of mental health. And so I could see how it started and, and, and the triggers of it. But once you open up that box, it's hard to close it. Right. <laughs> and so, right. um, so, the the future of uncertainty it's called the future of uncertainty. So I was living so far in the future, and we know we can't control the future, but that was what I was living into. Like my life is over, and so and then you have the depression, which is, comes from your past. So you know I was I was mad at myself for sprinting that morning. Like what if you didn't sprint? Like you could have just you could have just walked and you would have passed. Like so I had all these things from my past experience of what happened, and then the future of uncertainty. And then that was my spiral. And so now understanding how I went through that and I look at my peers and looking at how my identity, like I remember my, I lost who Faran was in my camouflage, in my uniform, in my rank. When I became Sergeant Faran Dozier as an E5, you know, that's pride. That's, you know, that's ego. And that's a lot of things, identity. And so if you just understand human beings, Anyway, we, we, we have a lot of identity crisis. And so peeling all of my life off and looking back at what I went through and my depression and, and my triggers and doing cognitive behavior and doing landmark education and my spirituality, it's like these are, these are not just normal to veterans. This is like a human being flaw. Mm-hmm. And so my landmark education really was the, the, the work that opened up how I looked at my life and how I looked at my future and how I managed my, my philosophies about my past. And 
now working with veterans who are dealing with the same kind of relatable um, life experiences. Um, I've, I met a, a Korean era veteran named Caldwell Williams, who is 86 years old, who's been doing um, counseling in junior high schools since 59. Hmm. And he's now using this same education he was healing youth with. Now he's shifted that to healing veteran suicide. And so I met him interviewing a World War II veteran at a, ver- at a veteran home. And we connected for like, like two years now, and I've been helping him um, with his program. And he's, he's turned his knowledge over to me and, and some other veterans. So when he dies, that this, this education lives on. And it is so powerful um, to be able to learn and understand communication skills and understand how to, you know, how we think. Like we do, our subconscious mind is so powerful, and and if you understand where those thoughts come from and the body sensations, like my 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 anxiety and depression was so bad that my body would cripple up and I couldn't even get out of bed. Hmm. And and so understanding where those thoughts and things come from allows me to not only live it and experience it, but also now articulate it. And then listen to my peers, and 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 help them discover what theirs is. And and that's if we can do that, you know, we can actually interrupt suicide because, you know, you either have a plan, a, a reason why you want to die, and and you just given up. And if you can disconnect one of those three, that person now has the want the, the want to live. And, and, and being able to do that and just having a conversation and relatedness has really helped me, um, again, just connect with my veterans. Because, you know, there's things that we talk about in military. There's a brotherhood. You know, only 2% of the population probably even served. So it, it's a totally different world. And I'll say this last piece. Objectification is really um, one of the things that we're trained. Like, we're trained. At, at a very young age, a malleable age, 17, 18, 19-year-old, to take a person and transform that person in our mind to become a terrorist or the enemy. And, and we objectify each other, even in conversations, Lakers versus Clippers, uh, Angels versus Dodgers. When you put that baseball jersey on or that football, people talk to you, they objectify you by that jersey, and that disconnects you as a human being. So those labels objectifying the military, we do it so well that I could I could kill that human being because you're you're a terrorist. But what we don't realize is one day that brain is gonna remember that that was a person, not a terrorist. And then you have to live with that. Wow. Wow. So there's so That's... many layers. There's so many layers to this conversation. And if you're if you grew up in an environment that has already been challenging you know, and then you join the military, sometimes those those past experiences are enhanced in the military, right? Mm-hmm. And then now you, you you go through your career, and then when when you're out of that career, like myself, like, okay, so if you don't know what's next in your life, then you're depressed because now you're out of, you're out of the military for either by your years are over or your career comes to an end by a medical issue or PTSD, you know, and so what's, what's that, what's next? Right. And, and that's something that we want to be able to help veterans discover, what's next. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about what you're saying, and I, I know you mentioned the word brotherhood, but there are women that are also experiencing some of these same exact symptoms and experiences in mental health as well, is there not? Oh, yes, um, and I thank you for saying that because I would say brother and sisterhood um, okay. because when I meet female, when I meet female veterans, they're, when they're more challenged because they don't think that they earned the benefits. And I've had, mm-hmm. I had a friend, and she did, two, she did two tours in Iraq, and she would not go and get, apply for her benefits. And I told her, you earned that, and I'm, great, I'm grateful she did because now she's taking care of her health and her mental health and 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 there's there's a payment she receives for the rest of her life. 
for going overseas and serving in the wars that she didn't realize or she didn't think that I'm not, I'm not that. That's not me. I'm not, I don't earn, I didn't earn that. No, yeah, you did. So the women are even more challenged because they don't connect themselves. And then you have to understand a woman going to a VA hospital with a bunch of men, you know, there's a lot of things that, that, you know, immature guys say when they see women. And so, yeah, there's a lot, again, there's a lot of layers. Um, yes. That we have to also protect our our women veterans as well because making it a safe space for them to even go to the VA because you know how they get talked about and gawked and you know and then again you know men say stuff that are immature and they don't realize the impact that it has on mm-hmm. on women in in our in our service so it's a lot of layers to it. There's there is and I I want to mention right now and I'll make sure that it's included in my in my follow-up blog but for people that might be listening to us as we're speaking you do have a website that's called trenchtalk.us and it talks about your military life it talks about sickle cell trait it talks about mental toughness it talks about you know the fact that you um, are a broadcaster and a podcaster there is there are so many layers to you, <laughs> and it, there, there really is. That's why I find you so fascinating. You know that Dos Equis man doesn't have a doesn't have anything <laughs> on you. <laughs> That's the truth. And I, you, you, I think I think I'd like to spend this next part of our show because I think that this is, you know, it's a it's a huge part because I what I what I hear you saying is this enormous evolving and i mean maybe landmark was the beginning of that and some people don't even know what landmark is Do you want to just quickly just say what the landmark program is because it, it is national isn't it it's not just local yeah it's, it's actually a global personal development um education pl- platform and it's the study of being of human beings and so um you know some people do therapy you know, some people do different, you know, there's there's different types of, you know, motivational speaking and things like that. But this one actually studies the being of human beings and, and, and really how we be about life. And so a lot of people think that it's the activity that makes you who you are, but it's also the experience of life. And, and we're human, be- I say we're human beings, not human doings. So a lot of times when something happens, you say, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, if I'm frustrated, I'm going to do frustrated stuff, and I'm going to have frustrating results. But if you ask a person, well, who are you going to be about that? What do you mean? Well, are you going to be calm? Are you going to be upset? Are you going to be frustrated? Like, you have a choice in who you get to be about life, and we don't really think that because our past experiences give us this view of our life that, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not worth it. I'm not this. I'm not that. You know, we have we live with our I'm not. That's who we are because that subconscious mind is telling you, from your past, well, yeah, you remember that one time you did that? Yeah, you you don't do that again. <laughs> you don't want to. You don't experience that. That was painful. That was a you know a broken heart or whatever that was. And so, for me, that education when my friend introduced me to it, um, it was more of a you never know who you're going to meet because you have your sports brand and there's all walks of life from from mothers to clergymen who take this education to develop themselves, and so. She was like, you just never know. You could meet somebody who might want to support you in your what's-the-count sports brand. And and she was right. I, I did meet the owner of Reebok. And so it was like, you know, but what I got from that education, I was like, forget the sports brand. <laughs> there is, mm-hmm. This is like I'm unfolding my – I'm peeling off my life. And so the the biggest part of this conversation was what I discovered – in landmark about myself and the decisions that I made and my relationship with my parents and, and the education goes through these different distinctions. And when I look my relationship to my father and my mother, it was, it was broken. Like I love my, I love my parents. Like I love my parents, but there was something in the way that I just there was there was a little there was no connection, mm-hmm. and I That's didn't know what segue. that was. That's the perfect segue to what I'd really like to talk about now, and that is about um, 
the book that you're writing and the relationship <laughs> with your dad. Let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about your dad. So, I'm I'm sitting in the landmark class, um, and there's a distinction that we're talking about the vicious cycle, and he makes a statement about the relationship with your parents. Like, what does that look like? And I and this story popped in my head, like like I could see my hand in my face, and and this story was in my brain, Marsha. Like, I don't know why I remember this story in my brain. Like, I could see it like it was yesterday. Hmm. And it was a five-year-old kid playing on the floor at Christmas. And I'm on the floor playing with my toys, and I look up and I say, hey, where's my dad? And somebody in the room says, he left. And in that moment, I was like, well, why did he leave? Did he tell me he was leaving? Well, he must have left because he didn't love me. So you imagine a five-year-old, and I'm on the floor, and and this story is in my mind. And so when I was sitting in the class, I I pulled that story to my to my vision. Like, okay, so let me see what this story is that I've been floating in my brain. And when I dis when I dissected that story, I saw that my behavior with my dad from from that moment as a five-year-old until that day in that class at forty, I treated my dad with such disrespect with such anger and upset, and I didn't know why that when we spent time together, he got on my nerve in like two hours, and I would be like, man, I'm done with you. You got to go home. Like, get out of here. But then I would spend the rest of the week, why can't I, why can't I spend time with my dad? Like, I want to spend time with this guy, but we just don't get along. He gets on my nerve. And in that class, I saw that who I was being with my dad was upset, frustrated, angry from a five-year-old decision that I kept looking for the proof of he doesn't love me. So no matter what he did for all those 35 years, no matter where he took me, no matter what he bought me, no matter what he said to me, I always had this thing in the back of my mind, well, you don't love me. You're just doing that because you don't love me. And when I saw that, that a five-year-old made that up, and then when I peeled it off even more, that it wasn't even, it wasn't true. Like I could look at the distinction and say, you know what? Uh, That's not true. It's not true. And I saw that I made that story up and it wasn't the truth about my dad. And so I called him on my break and I said, dad, um, I just want you to listen. I said, thank you for teaching me how to tie my shoes. Thank you for teaching me how to color. Thank you for taking me to Wiener Schnitzel. Thank you for taking me to McDonald's. Thank you for the cheeseburgers. Thank you for going to the beach and, and, and spending the night camping at the beach. Like, thank you for everything you've done for me and given to me in my life. I said, I just realized today that you do love me. And I want to tell you, I made up a story about you, and I've been telling myself that you didn't. And I want to acknowledge that, and I want to apologize for my behavior towards you. And you know what my dad said? But I love you, son. I love you, son. I just want to spend time with my son. Did he use those words with you very often, Ferran? Yes, yes, Marcia, But you just didn't believe him. I did not believe him from a five-year-old decision. Wow. And And nobody knew that. Nobody, and and nobody knew it. I never said it out loud. I had the evidence. I had the evidence because he didn't, he would say, I'm going to come and pick you up, and he wouldn't pick me up. I would be waiting by the door. I would be waiting for his phone calls. But guess what? He and my mom had a conversation, and she gave him an ultimatum. But nobody told me. So there was a, I didn't see him from, from 1978 until 1985. I didn't see him for seven years. But I didn't know that when he said he would come and get me, he couldn't come because him and my mom had a sidebar conversation, so he couldn't pick me up. Wow. So I had all I had seven years of proof that well you didn't come and pick me up because you don't love me like I had evidence like I had right. evidence like you couldn't tell me that that wasn't what that was. Oh, that's heavy, huh? <laughs> Imagine yeah. that we I, all I have can't. that way. Wow. 
imagine we all have some wedge that how we talk about our parents is what's in the way of us connecting. Oh, go put, oh, make sure, you know, what if your mom says, go put your, make sure you leave, put your jacket on and you're 35 years old. Oh, mom, leave me alone. I'm, I'm all right. No, that's how she's showing her love to you. <laughs> she loves you wow. and she's telling you to put a coat on because she, that's her expression of how, you know, and so we look that we need love a particular way from our parents when my, they were 19 and 21 years old when they had me. They were babies. Mm-hmm. They did the best they could. And I, so I saw in my landmark class that my dad did the best he could with what he knew to be a father. And how could I hold that against him? And that his love was just him expressing his love all these years. And I never saw it because of how I was being with him. Your perception. So, so what I, my perception. So in landmark, instead of being frustrated and angry and upset, I committed to being acknowledgement, uh, gratitude, and joy with my dad. And I told him, who who I'm going to be with you, dad, is gratitude, acknowledgement, and joy. And so... What year did you say that to him? 2011. January. Okay. Prize you remember the month. (laughs) That's, That's powerful. What a freeing. I'm I'm just listening to this and I'm I'm because I haven't walked in your boots. I, I, I can't really um I, I did have that experience. Yeah. But I'm I'm imagining from such a young age of convincing yourself that what you thought was accurate and not mm-hmm. understanding until you were out of the military that I'm forty years old. <laughs> You did it. It's like, wait a minute. For 35 years, I have been planted. I have, I have not only planted in, incorrect information. I've been watering it. I've been growing it. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. prospering. I can prove mm-hmm. it to you. Here's another example. Yes. Here's another example. Yes. You can't tell me I'm wrong. I know I'm right. No. And then you stepped into landmark. Oh my gosh. I mean, talk about. A pivot, right? That the, this word that we all use today. Talk about a pivot, because it mm-hmm. wasn't that you stopped functioning, but that part of your love and your life and your dad suddenly changed. And you are writing a book about it, aren't you? Am I am I right about that? Yeah. For a so, story. Yeah. So um, I met this guy. I was doing a career day at an elementary school here in, in my city, Fontana, and a guy we were talking and. It was my second year doing it, his first year, and the counselor said, oh, you guys should talk. And so we talked, and he had a life experience that he experienced a car crash, and he says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing an a inspirational book. I'm like, really? I'm like, I always wanted to write a book, but I thought the book had to be like, you know, 100 pages. He's like, oh, no, um, they, they, they have these things called inspirational books. He says, mine's going to be probably about 16, 17 pages. I'm like, really? And so – the vision, a dream that I had about writing a book, I saw that I could break up my life into these episodes. And so I immediately, like I said, it just inspired me, and I sat down and said, so these decisions that I saw in my life that were significant, like my dad and my mom and my, the one with my peers at 14, I'm going to write this inspirational book, and I'm just going to tell the story of before, during, and after my relationship with my dad, and maybe that could help somebody see how their relationship with their parents or their father is. And so I, I called it life of a five-year-old because that's where that decision started. And so I've, I've taken this story in, a, in, you know, maybe about a 16-pager. It's actually getting processed right now um, as an inspirational read that I, that I didn't know you could write. <laughs> so Wow. That's, it, it, that's... Yeah. You made a video, too. I, I'm yeah. going to be honest, I haven't watched the entire video, but um, just looking at you, knowing you, you're not a stranger to me, and watching you deliver that poignant message about the life of a five-year-old is pretty pretty dramatic. And so your book will just be, will it be a hardcover, or is this something that people will just get um, 
just like an e-book. Do you, do you know you at know this what, point? Marcia? You know what, Marcia? The, the vision that I have for the book is, and, me, and the, what's wild is me and my dad, we were planning to share our stories together. We were, wanted, we were going to plan to travel and do a radio show and travel and share our stories to help fathers and sons heal. And he passed away last year in, in 2019. And I'm like, you know what? And, you know, I get to honor my father in my sickle cell trait conversation because I inherited that gene from him. So mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what, Dad? I can still do this conversation. And so my, actually my vision is to go around the community, maybe do like coffee shops. Like I don't even know if I want to sell it. I just, mm-hmm. just want to have a conversation with it and maybe just give it away. Because if, 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 if I could share with people what it looked like for me, maybe they could see that relationship with their father and, 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 and have that shift like I did. And so I haven't decided if I'm going to sell it or give it away. But okay. I do know I would like to just travel, go to coffee shops, and just have meetings where we just come together and just bring fathers in and just sit with them and just share my story and just see what happens. Like, that's, that's, that's my vision right now. Well, you're an exceptional public speaker. So I could imagine you speaking, you know, the coffee house, good grief, we don't know when that will happen again. But I could see when, you know, when we are able to, you know, gather together um, that, people will be interested in, and I want to make sure that I, it's a YouTube, I want to make sure that I that I link that into this blog, Ferran, so that people that okay. want to hear your conversation um, can, and I would also say this, that we're talking fathers and sons, but in reality, if you are a mom and a daughter, you could probably apply the same information to yourself. It sounds like healing under the best of conditions, and speaking of daughters, you have a daughter, and you have a grandson. You. And yes. I, I mean, because I do follow you on social media, and I, I, I've watched this little kid. Uh, do you want to just say a little bit ab- about about him, Grandpa? <laughs> you know, it's, it's very emotional because my dad. You know, he passed away, but right like two weeks before he was born, before Aiden James was born. And so we went to the, we all went to the baby shower, right, in April. And then he passes away the weekend after Mother's Day. And then two weeks later, AJ is born. And I have this emotional roller coaster. I I can best describe it to you as a roller coaster ride where I, I have this up with my grandson and and now I'm the grandfather, but then I have this down with losing my dad. And Mm -hmm. so, but I can tell you that because I, I was able to heal with my dad for those last 10 years that I hear my dad talking to my grand, like it's not even me. Like that's Mm -hmm. what my dad would say. And so I now get how my dad felt about his grandchildren and how I feel about AJ, which is a, a totally different, like a like the I say it's a pure love, and so yes. I'm I'm blessed to be able to have this little guy, and now have that responsibility like my dad was, and like it's it's my turn, right? <laughs> it's my turn, right? And Deja, I'm sure that's your daughter, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure that that your life story regarding your dad is not a story that she's unfamiliar with. And I feel like when you share your story like you are with people that are listening that that don't know you or Deja or your dad, Mm -hmm. you're still touching people wherever they are. It's like you're meeting them wherever they are. And you just... You just never know. I mean, I know you've been acknowledged in Fontana and in other places when people really recognize that you are not speaking from book learning. You are speaking from life living. And you've really said some wonderful things um, during this show that I've been trying to, to capture 
Um, and I, I really do think that it's so important for people to hear your story because it may really um, – I like what you said, uh, Veron, in the very beginning of the show. You're a human being, not a human doing. Yes. That's really powerful. And I think that I don't care who you are. That that those what 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 I would have heard my somebody say years ago. I don't know who would, would coin the phrase "pearls <laughs> of wisdom," but that that really is um, a remarkable way of saying that we are human being and we are human beings and humanity is important to you and mm-hmm. i just i just think that what you're offering and when people will go and visit and listen to what what you're doing you know i think they will see that that you are so authentic and so transparent you you don't hide behind anything you just suffered unfortunately in a way that Number one, you didn't know you were ill. Two, what you planted in your mind as a five-year-old just festered forever and affected mm-hmm. everything that you did. And to come out on the other side of all of that and say, that's true, but here's where I am today, and that yeah. there is hope, and that spiritual journey that you're taking, it's your spiritual journey. You can't walk mine. Yeah. You know, no. you can't tell my no. story. You no. can only tell your story. But that's why I do this. You know, you've known me since the very first show I I started when I was doing this. You know, I didn't expect to be where I am today. I didn't expect to be a widow for nearly 12 years. Yeah. I, why, why would my husband leave me? I mean, what was the deal? Yeah. You know, he was young. We were, you know... He wasn't supposed to be gone, but clearly yeah. that happened, and clearly that put me on my path and on my journey, and I didn't start off by knowing I wanted to do this, but I certainly know what my tension is today. Yeah. I certainly know that people do have stories. That's not to say that everybody is a public type like you and I are. There are plenty right, right. of private people. My daughter's a private person. You're not yeah. going to find her um, sharing her life story with the world. <laughs> you know, that's just who she is, and I respect that about her. But when you do want to share your life stories and you do want to to bring some positivity, because if there was ever a time we've needed some positivity, it's been what we've all experienced together this past year. And we don't know where this is going to take us in the next year coming to us. I mean, I, right. we could have spent a whole segment truly talking about your ABA team, which is so awesome. I know you have a basketball. Um, you're the owner of the of the team. Am I right about that? You're the owner of your team? Yes, I own the uh, basketball team called the Oxenaut Orcas uh, American Basketball Association. And I'm just yeah. I'm using that platform to share my message. You know, we all look, you know, when you look in life, you see the NFL, you see the NBA, and they have their causes connected to it. And so I had an opportunity to to connect my cause to a professional level um, basketball team. And so I'm going to use it not just for my message, but also what the city of Oxnard wants to talk about from the youth, Wonderful. again, from youth suicide all the way up to, again, whatever, whatever people want to share uh, as a community outreach conversation, we'll be able to use, they'll be able to use our platform to get their message out just as just as I'm using it for mine. It's it's this you know when I when I got in touch with you and I thought do I really want to do a show on the last Monday of December? Do you know I have never <laughs> I have not taken I've not taken a Monday off this year of 2020. I've worked I've worked every single Monday this year, and I thought well, but you know what? What a perfect ending for this year to celebrate you and I 
I can picture us sitting at the coffee company. I can picture us sitting in the studio. I can picture you holding my hand and saying, Marsha, you're going to be able to do this blog talk thing. Trust me, you, you can do it. I know the technology yeah. seems overwhelming, but you can do it. You've already got people booked. Just do it. Just like Nike, yeah. just do it. It's your passion. Nothing changed except that now you could be in your pajamas. No, you can't see me. And so I, I, I miss the intimacy of looking truly yeah. at my guests. I do miss that. Yeah. But me but too. this but the blog but the blog talk platform has allowed me to engage in conversations and stories with people all around this country and out of this country. And yes. I see that as my blessing. And while I haven't done Landmark, I feel like I'm continuing daily, daily. It's hard to say that without emotion of evolving because not everybody wants to. You know that. I know that. Not everybody wants to evolve. Many people are happy just, just where they are. And I'm not judging that. You can be absolutely happy wherever you are. That isn't my that isn't my place to judge you. You need oh. to you are in control of your own life and your own destiny. But what you've brought to the show today is by by recognizing all those years of misguided information that was planted in your head and finding the ability to uncover it, unbury it not plant it, don't water it, and to have those years with your dad, I I just, talk about a gift. Talk about a gift, and now you get to be that dad and that grandpa in a way that maybe you would have never known. I'm sure, I I am sure you are loved by so many, Ferran. Yeah, I'm I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful, Marsha. And as you mentioned earlier, um, my dad, and then I, I just at at forty, man. I, I guess you could say at fifty, I finally here with my mom. So this this education and those principles apply to the twenty eight years that I've had that wedge about my mom, which will which would be written in the life of an eight year old. And so you're correct. These principles apply to mother and mother and son, mother and daughter, daughter to daughter to to parent. It's 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 applicable yeah. to you know Anyone. helping people heal. Yeah, to heal. Right. So, life of an eight-year-old is about you and your mom. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, wow. So, <laughs> so everyone that's listening, I know we've run a little late, but it was it was every bit worthwhile to know that because now kind of we've kept people hanging just a bit like, oh, I wonder what he's <laughs> going to say there. But I would just say that I'm I'm grateful for your time. I'm grateful that you are part of my life. And Thank as you. we end this show together, I, I do want to wish everyone a, not only a happy new year, which is what we say right now, but you can't say happy without having a comma and saying healthy yeah. because yeah. that – that is when we talk about expressing gratitude truly i start there and yeah. so i am i am so grateful for my health and and i'm i'm grateful for those around me so i i'm i'm grateful for you Ferran, and i'm 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 looking forward to sharing this story with our listeners and i will i will certainly share the link to that youtube so people can observe you telling your story and I just wish you all the best in 2021. We must do this again, don't you think? Uh, definitely, Marcia. And again, <laughs> I'm I'm very grateful um, for your stand for our for people and for the opportunity to share my story. And like I said, we're not strangers, and I'm I'm very appreciative of your work. And so, this is this is who we get to be. That's this is right. Who we get to be for people. That's right. Okay, everybody, I'm going to let Ferran get on with his afternoon in this rainy day. We're not in Georgia, but it's certainly a rainy day in L.A. (laughs) And all the best to you because, everyone, guess what? I will be here next year, 
and I'll be starting my, my show of 2021 with Devin Blaine. She's a publicist. She owns her own firm. And because mm. of Devin, I have received some of the most remarkable guests because of the people that she has represented. So I am turning the tables on her, and she will tell me what it's like to run her company. So I'm really looking <laughs> forward to that next year, which is really next week. So for yeah. now, I will say goodbye to everybody and have a happy, healthy new year. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye.